Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sobriety Core Podcast, a collection of stories from people who happen to be sober. I'm your host, Kim Palumbo. I am so excited to welcome my friend Colleen to my kitchen table for our second episode. Welcome, Colleen. Hi, Kimmy. Okay. Colleen, who are you? So my name is Colleen. I am a single mother. I work in the human services um, field. I work with homeless people and I am also a recovering uh, drug and alcohol addict. Thank you. And what, what is it that brought you to sobriety, this sober path? My gosh, so many things, but mainly it was, um, I was just on this destructive path that I could no longer control. Um, I literally woke up one morning and realized I had lost all control over myself, my thoughts, my actions, um, everything in my life revolved around drugs and alcohol. I couldn't make any decisions without it. It was my main focus in life. Everything else that was important to me no longer mattered. My daughter, my job, my home, my family, my friends. Um, nobody mattered except the substances. Mm-hmm. And um, I honestly just didn't want to die. And I felt like that that was going to happen very soon. And at that time, I was only 36 years old. And I was too young to have a, a massive heart attack or overdose mm-hmm. or um, draw. You know, I was always driving under the influence, crash and die. I was just... I realized I didn't want to die and I didn't want to be on that path anymore. I didn't want to live that life anymore. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, I didn't want my daughter to think that this was normal. Mm. I didn't want her to think that drinking the way I drank is acceptable behavior. Um, and like I said, I'm a single mother, so I just didn't want to leave her without a parent, you know, and, um, I really just wanted to feel better all around. So I finally made the decision to say the words out loud. I need help. And I called rehabs. And two days later, I went to rehab for 21 days and have been on this journey ever since April 2017. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. What did it feel like? I'm, I'm jump. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off my script here, but um, okay. my questions, but what did it feel like to say those words out loud? Oh, such a relief. It was such a relief that I didn't have to hide anymore, you know, cause I was literally living a double life. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying, everybody thought I'm this great mom and, you know, I have this great job and inside I am like literally dying I am so tired of keeping up this persona that everything's great. Um, So to say the words out loud, like, I need help. I can't stop drinking and doing drugs. Like, I can't do this anymore. It was like literally 50 pounds felt like off my chest, you know. And I called the first three people I called. um, Well, actually, first was my supervisor, and she was very happy about that. The first person was my supervisor. The next person was my best friend, Kenny, and and then my father and my mother. And the three of them, all three of them had the same exact reaction. Oh, thank God. 
And to each one of them said, what, what do you mean? Like, did you know? They're like, well, we knew something was wrong with you. <laughs> it's like, you think you're hiding it and you're yeah. doing this great job, but you're not. <laughs> yeah. You think you're like a CIA agent. Yes. Yeah. And everybody else is like, uh, uh we yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Because I was so scared to tell them that they were going to be so mad at me or, you know, disappointed or angry. Yeah. And the relief in all of their reactions was like, oh, okay. Yeah. They want this for me too. Right. Okay, great. Yeah. So it was like, I was so blessed to have a support system mm-hmm. that was willing to help me and be there for me. Yeah. And want this for me just right. as much as I wanted it for myself. Yeah. It was like a, literally another miracle of like having, having to live in a sober life. Like these little miracles happen throughout this whole journey. But right. like that was like the biggest one, right. I think. Because we, I think we create these like narratives inside of this yeah. constant like, um, uh, I what I think of as like mental gymnastics, you know, yes. inside of our head about yes. what people are going to say and do, right? Um, and it's so far fetched from act- the actual reality absolutely. of what happens. It's and it like keeps we don't us, have to project exactly. Just wait, like just yeah, yeah. And it keeps you from saying those words. Yes, yeah. did because it was years, Kimmy, years of torture that I knew I had a problem, but never. Yeah. could do anything about it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it was a long time, way longer than it needed to be. Right. And then it gets worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how, so now, now you're here, you're, you're on this path. Um, how do you stay sober? And I imagine that that's changed over the last, you know, since it you has. checked into rehab, but um, yeah. How do you, what, what are you, what do you do to stay sober? Um, so right now I am very, uh, heavily involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, that has over this last two years has been, um, my number one, um, I don't know how to explain it, but just, it's really has what is helping me stay sober. Mm-hmm. Then I have like this small community of people who have the same problems yep. and are just trying to do the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did struggle a lot that first year um, from April 2017 up until May of the following year, 2018. Mm -hmm. I was able to get like nine months sober and I drank one time and then I got like my 90 days again. And then that last uh, summer of May, 2018, like I was drinking, going to meetings, drinking, going to meetings. And it was really torture. Mm. Um, I'd made a lot of wrong decisions that first year of sobriety, everything that you kind of, I kind of was taught in rehab, like, you know, don't make any major decisions. Don't get into a relationship. Um, get a sponsor, like everything that they kind of guided you to do like I just didn't do you know because we think we can just do it however (laughs) we want but for me I need like structure and guidance Mm -hmm. and I can't really be left to my own devices at least not for that first year yeah so August 20th 2018 I finally surrendered again and was like okay no you did not go to rehab to try to or to, to drink again. Like you just, this isn't what you want, you know, with your life, you don't stop. (laughs) So I surrendered again and I've been continuously sober since August 20th, 2018. So I stay sober by 
talking about it with other people, mm-hmm. um, going to meetings, running the meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to rehabs and spoken at rehabs. I've gone to um, psychiatric hospitals, like for the criminally insane, talked to rehabs or talked to them about sobriety. That was really cool. Um, literally anything that, you know, just revolves around sobriety people. I don't talk to anybody that's really not in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, things like that, you know, just trying to really stay connected to the outside world, not isolating because I'm really good at that. So when I really feel like I want to not talk to anybody anymore, that's when I know I need to pick up the phone and get out of my house and go and do something, you know? So, and you know, um, AA is really so built on community and Mm -hmm. service. Yep. I do a lot of that. Two things that you're talking about, you know, those are the two real tenets of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, connecting with other people who are in recovery in a community struggling, you know, struggling or have a desire for a new way of life, you Mm -hmm. know, or, or putting yourself in service to others. Yeah. How uh, I, I deeply connect to the desire to want to talk to people, which is how I ended up, you know, wanting to do this. Yeah. Podcast. So awesome. Um, and really understanding people's stories and, and just, just hearing like, how do we, how do we all end up in this place? You know, a lot, a lot of people, a lot more people than you would ever know. Right. <laughs> right. Um, how about the service piece? I'm curious, like, what is it like to stand up um, in order to, to, to go to a, a rehab and talk about your own story or go to a psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane and, 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 and talk about. Um, so it's this. such a humbling experience okay. because for us as addicts, alcoholics, we could be there or we have been there or we're going to go there if we don't stop what we're doing, you know, and, and some of those criminally insane people were criminally insane, became criminally insane as a direct result of drugs and alcohol, you know, their, their mental illnesses like come out after they put the substances in there and then they do these violent acts. So, um, the service part is just such a humbling experience and it's such a good reminder to, if I don't stay plugged into my recovery, I'm going to end up there, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's night and they're so appreciative when you come from the outside and hang out with them for an hour and just make them feel like a human again, you know, especially for the people that are incarcerated. Like I have a special, I mean, especially if they're addicts or alcoholics and they did these things under the influence of substance, like we all make very poor decisions when we're under the influence And when we're not under the influence, we're very different people, Mm. usually much better people. Mm -hmm. Um, So to just treat them like a human being again, let them know that like, you know, life is possible without a substance and it's good and happy and peaceful. Mm -hmm. And seeing Um, them, you see them. Yeah. As people, as humans, as opposed to as as this you know, psycho that murdered some lady or something. I don't know anything about them, but you know, it's just like, as opposed to their acts. Correct. Like I certainly don't want to be known for for, all the bad driving under the influence. Right. You know, me either. Right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Thanks. What would you, um, if say to your drinking self or your using self, you know, um, and this could be at any point, you know, maybe what you would say, 
at a different, you know, at a, at a certain ages to yourself would be different. But, but if you had Colleen user sitting here in active use, what would you say? Oh, wow. Good question, Kim. Um, I would just tell her that life is amazing. You know, like you didn't need to fill this void in yourself with drugs and alcohol or things, you know, like to just finally just surrender, you know, to fighting yourself and being so angry at the world and blaming everybody else for everything. And just, just to be a more positive person, Mm -hmm. not so negative, you know, it's just so negative all the time internally. I didn't express it on the outside. It was always internally. That's a double life. Yes. Like, you know, I wish I could go back to that 14 year old girl and be like, you don't have to fit in. You can be whoever you want. You don't have to fit into whatever it is you think are those norms, which in my, in that time it was drinking and smoking cigarettes and smoking pot and trying to be cool. Like, don't, <laughs> please don't, Yeah. you know, Just, yeah. I wish she, I could have been stronger then. Yeah. There is, we were talking about this before we started recording I feel like there's something about the age 14, you know, you hear that age in a lot of people's stories. Yeah. It's the age that I started drinking and, um, you know, we're just trying to figure ourselves out. Yes. And we have brains that are not capable of figuring ourselves out. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? no. Um, and there's something that, that happens, I think when you're 14, um, yeah. I was, a, I was somebody who also like desperately cared about what other people thought of me. You know? Yes. It's terrible. It's like you don't need that validation. Or yeah. I don't know, but it is a teenager thing. They're so confused. It's true. Yeah. When you meet a teenager who isn't that way, you're like, I think they're weird. Like, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. <laughs> no, they're probably. But you're also like jealous. Yeah, a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> like in with my with my Excuse adult me. mind, you're a lot cooler than I was, man. You yes. know, um, even yeah. though I definitely in my 14 year old mind saw myself as, you know, Oh yeah. We were a, hot. The whole, oh yeah. Super <laughs> a cool kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I know, uh, this has been a question that, that we've been talking a little bit about, um, just yeah. in how to answer it, but what is the relationship between pride and shame in your journey? Um, for yourself and, and how, and has that evolved over time and how has that evolved? So for me, I've been very fortunate that I really don't have a lot of shame, um, over what I did while drinking. Um, those things happened, you know, the poor decisions happened, the driving under the influence with my 10 year old daughter in the backseat happened. The, not caring about my daughter because drugs and alcohol were more important happened. I can't change any of that. Mm. Um, and the fact that I can't change it, I can't dwell over it. It's going to eat me alive. If I do, if I let that shame and guilt take over, you know, I'll just, it'll cripple me. Um, so I've forgiven myself. You know, I forgave myself instantly for all those poor decisions that I made when I was under the influence because it wasn't, me. It's not, it's not me. Um, 
So just, I don't, I just really don't have a lot of shame. I just, you know, do I regret things? Of course, you know, would I have liked to do things differently? Yeah. Who doesn't? But you know, the past is what it is. Can't change any of it. All I can do is grow from it and move forward. Take what I did wrong, do better today and tomorrow. Um, and that's really how I try and live my life today. Just every day, just be better than what I did yesterday. Um, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. Perfect people are boring. You know, I'm thankful that I had this struggle. I'm thankful that I can like help other people with it, especially in my line of work. You know, I work with, um, poor people, homeless, drug addicted, mentally ill. Um, so when they come in and see me in my office, they are at their bottoms. Mm. They're at, I am the last straw for them. Either they're going to be on the streets or not. And a lot of the younger ones or even older ones, like when I know that they're struggling and I open up to them about my struggles, like it's such a different, like it's their whole body language shifts, you know, and then they're so much more open. So it's like, I'm proud of who I am now, you know, and what I went through and the struggles I've had. Um, I'm proud of that fact and that I can help the next suffering person. Mm. So, yeah, I just, I just, don't beat yourself up, man. I mean, we did those things. We weren't in our right minds. Well, <laughs> no. What are you going to do about it? You know, you can't change it. So why beat yourself up? Yeah, I love that. I think a lot of people struggle. Yes, especially shame. moms. Oh, like moms, totally. I know, are we have this vision that we have to be perfect right. all the time. Like everything's got to be perfect. My kid, their clothes, our house, you know, you do everything. You're the responsible for everything. Like all those like little things that we have in the back of our minds, like what's in the fridge, what's in the cupboards, what's in the, (laughs) you know, what's in the pantry. Okay. Do I have everything I need? Um, it's like all these, like, do I have enough laundry detergent? Like you're thinking about all this crazy stuff all the time. (laughs) Right. You know? So when you fail at it, guess what? You're human. Yeah. We all fail Uh at some point or another. But it's what you do about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is also, like, the thing that is so powerful for your daughter, too. Yeah. Like, She's failure. so proud of me. <laughs> it's so awesome. How does, she knows. How does that How does that come out? Her? Yeah, her, her, her proud, pride in you. So um, what I've noticed the most is because when I was drinking, I kept her very sheltered. Okay. Because I'm a single mom, so I brought her wherever I wanted to go so I could go drink mm. to friends' houses and stuff uh-huh. where I had friends at my house. And it was always all about me, what I wanted to do. I didn't care what she wanted to do. Mm. So I never made play dates or took her to her friends' houses or did things with her. So now that I'm not drinking and my life is finally revolving around my child, you know, and my, and my recovery and my friends and everything, but, um, the way she's blossomed and come out of her shell, you know, it's like, that's like the miracle for me of this sobriety of being sober mm-hmm. is seeing her just have this personality that I just never knew existed because I didn't care about her. She was either in a room with her phone doing whatever she had to do. And I was with my girlfriends drinking, you know, so I didn't even know who she was. Mm. 
you know, so to see her just grow into this little person, this little woman, you know, it's so nice. Like we have such a bond, like we're so close and like, um, we just like goof around and she tells me everything. And like, I was never like that with my mother, you know, I was never able to tell her anything. Um, so to be so close with her and have her respect me and like, listen and not hate me. Like mm. she hasn't told me she's hated me in a couple years, you know? So that's nice. You know, to have your nine year old screaming, I hate you. <laughs> it's not fun. Right. And I knew it was because of what I was doing, you know, that I was drinking all the time. So to not have that anger and hostility anymore, you know, it's so wonderful. I don't ever want to lose that. Right. And you're like, you're doing multiple things for her, you know, showing her that there's other ways to cope with the shit of life. Mm -hmm. And shit is just recovery, sober, using or not, whatever. Shit's going to happen. Or just, you know, you know, having no, none of these problems in your life, you know, you have other problems, right. And stuff Mm -hmm. happens. And like, how do you cope with them and teaching our kids that there's another way? Yes. Um, I think is one amazing thing to teach your kid. The other is that when you have a problem, you've addressed, you're addressing it, which I think, and and letting her into that. Yes. So she knows like mommy goes to meetings and mommy doesn't drink anymore. Right. Um, no, that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. Like, I haven't told her like there were drugs involved. The she's too young. Right. Like, yeah. And I don't know if I'll ever tell her maybe which right. one day when she's older, but for right now, it in an appropriate yeah, like her 10 her. year old mentality, her 11 year old or 12 year old, you know, soon to be 13, whatever. Yeah. I'll let her know that what she needs to know for how old she is. Right. And that makes yeah, yeah. perfect sense. I think, but right. no, I think she's really, you know, happy that like mommy's not sleeping all day on weekends. Right. You know, because I'm hungover. Um, you know, mommy yeah. likes to do things with her. Yeah. You know, we're up early. I was yeah. never an early riser. Right. Hated the mornings because my head was pounding. Because it hurt. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Hated the mornings. Right. Not anymore. I'm up at 6 a.m. every day. I'm like, Whoa, who are you? <laughs> yeah. She's like, Mom, I still want to sleep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's <laughs> sleeping in now. I'm like, oh, I miss those days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really, but a little bit. No, yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think letting them into this in a way that's appropriate for them is important. Um, it is important, especially if when you come from um, an alcoholic, um, like hereditary, you know, yeah. like their alcoholism runs deep in our family mm-hmm. um, for both sides. For her father, um, you know, he's an addict. Mm-hmm. Don't, I don't even know where he's at. Right. Um, so, you know, she has it on both sides yeah. and then extended family as well. Right. So. Um, to try to break the cycle. Like, you know, I try to, I've been try to be a better parent than what my parents were. Right. She'll probably do the same thing when she becomes a parent. You know I mean? I think every parent does that anyway until maybe one day there'll be a perfect parent. I don't really know. <laughs> probably not. No, um, but yeah. <laughs> we always screw up but our we'll kids try. somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, to try and break that cycle younger than when it was for me. Cause so my dad got sober when I was 14 mm-hmm. and then that's when my drinking and drug use escalated mm-hmm. Um, so for her, I was, she was 10 when I first got sober, you know, so to just, I want her to see some of her youth, her formative years, her really most, I feel is those early, late, early teens, you know, I think are the most important time in kids' lives to have stability. Right. 
you and, know, and yeah, absolutely. And figure out they're like, going through a hell of a time. And then if you're coming home to this wild household, like you're tight, they're doomed. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. No, I think, I think it's, you know, our jobs as parents in many ways is, is not to, is to help our children understand their emotional world and not add to it. Correct. And when, I mean, I think in my own experience, um, uh, you know, with alcohol and it, while I was using, um, I did add to the emotional world of my six-year-old son, you know, yeah. um, even if, you know, we want to think, oh no, like we're, we're able to keep it all secretive, right. you know, like, hot, yeah, uh, but, but that's not how the world works, you know, and yeah. kids are so intuitive and receptive oh, yes. and, or um, perceptive. They understand, they just know. They understand a whole lot on. more than we're giving them credit Absolutely. for. And they're always listening. Even when you think they're not, exactly. they are and watching they want, yeah. we're their role models, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's really important for me yeah. is breaking that cycle, trying to be a better role model for her. Yeah. And it's showing in what she's doing in with her, her life. Yeah. And her, in her um, growing into her own self. Yeah. 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 It's great to be able to see it and be in the moment. That's also what's been really wonderful for me is being in the moment and remembering things. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never in the moment um, when I was drinking. Cause I was always so worried about when, how I can, when and how, and I was going to get that next one. Right. That's all I could think about. Right. So to not have that. And then you're like, Oh wow, I can have conversations with people and not I'm talking to you, but I have no idea what's happening. Cause my brain's all the way out here thinking about, the, the drink. Something else. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's, that's like the, you know, um, it reminds me of like Johan Harry's talk, talking about the opposite of addiction is connection. And mm. I always thought like connection. I talk to people all the time. I like, I have friends, I have family, whatever. Yeah, but you're not connected. You're not, yeah, exactly. Yes. And so, and even to self too, right? Yes. Like totally disconnected from who I am as a yes. person. Oh yes. Um, and so I think that's like, yes, I'm having these conversations, but you know, scratch the surface and it's, there's nothing there. Correct. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. What is one question that you wish someone would ask you about yourself or your sobriety? That was another good question, Kimmy. (laughs) I've been thinking about that one for a while. Um, I think I would, I would have to go with, um, like what's been the biggest surprise to you mm-hmm. about recovery? Like what was the one thing that like you didn't expect was going to happen that happened? And my answer to that is the peace of mind that I have today. Um, because from that age of 14, I've never had a peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was constantly wishing and hoping and praying that I was going to die that day. Every day for years. So to finally get sober and have those thoughts go away, I never knew that was going to be possible. I never knew that I could enjoy life and not be upset that I woke up that the next morning. Like, man, I have to go through this again, this life, you know, another day. Like, it was torture. So to not have those feelings anymore has been for me the biggest gift of sobriety, you know, to feel, no, I don't mean that. I don't, (laughs) I still struggle with feeling love, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I do know it's very prominent in my life. Mm -hmm. Hopefully one day I can actually feel it. 
I think that's part of the damage that was done at a young age. Yeah. You know, I, I don't feel love. Um, but I know it's there, you know, but to have the peace of mind has been 100% the biggest gift that sobriety has given me. Thank Thanks. you so much. Colleen. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, really Thanks appreciate for having you me. sharing your story. Thank you. Bye. As always, I want to interview you. Drop a line at SobrietyCore on Instagram or visit www.sobrietycore.com to tell your story. That's www.sobrietycorps.com. Look for our next episode in about a week where we get to hear from a human behind an Instagram handle. Until then, be well.